listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Anianas here for another episode of Pod Slam It Jamma presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Anas, and you can find me on Twitter at Anas underscore five. Joined here as always, Dayan, take it away. I'm Dayan Dunlap. You can follow me at Dayan Dunlap, but also be, full, be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU. And also make sure you hit the subscribe, the like button on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Dayan, right off the bat, we. We talked about this. We got to start with the men's basketball game. They were traveling their first true road game of the season after getting off to an eight and one start. Their only loss coming in the Maui Invitational against Wisconsin uh, on Thanksgiving week. And it was the the matchup was a matchup advertised as two heavyweight fights, two top 15 ranked AP teams and the matchup did not disappoint it literally there were both of these teams that were throwing haymakers at each other the entire night every time one team seemed to build a little momentum build some separation the other team would come right back and it seemed like no team was able to fully control whenever they would get the lead the other team would make a rally to to kind of the way i described it is kind of it was a perfect tug of war between the two teams and of course when it comes to the ending of the game, Houston, Alabama, such a shame that it was marred by controversy, but this is how it went down. No ball screen, just let him go to work. Loose ball, recovered, three, two, one, off the iron, tipped up, no good, out of bounds. Alabama will defend the home court. Kelvin Sampson is screaming that that was a goaltend, and the ball was still on the rim when Davison sent it away. He's looking for two points. The officials are at midcourt, and I don't sense that they're going to look at it. That was the ending to the game. Such heartbreak. And this was Houston head coach Calvin Sampson talking about it after the game. Um, But, um, you know, you know, I'm an older guy, and you, you don't ever look at one play as defining. You shouldn't do that. You know, I'm not... You know, we, you, the things that we can control, uh, we have to do a better job controlling. But gosh, darn it, that was disappointing uh, that, that, that he didn't call that. That was just disappointing. I felt bad for my kids, not for me. You know, I'll, I'll leave to fight another day. But these kids have invested so much, and, and they work so hard. Um, and they play so hard tonight in a tough environment with a lot of things going against them. 
uh, over and over and over. Um, and for us to to rebound that twice and, and put the ball on the rim and it knocks it off the rim and there's no call. That's just a tough way to go down tonight. Dayon, we didn't, we're not going to play the clip originally where Calvin Thompson was asked directly what he thought of the ending of the game because he kept it short and sweet. They asked him what he thought, how that game went down. He said it should have been a goaltend. He said the officials never gave him an explanation why they decided not to call a goaltending. And like we learned uh, last night, the officials cannot go and review a potential goaltending call unless if they actually call it on the floor and because they did not call it goaltending on the floor, they never, they, they were not allowed to review it. So Houston loses a heartbreaker, a one point loss to the Crimson Tide. Once again, the final score, 83-82 in Tuscaloosa. And Dayon, uh, let's just start right there with the very, very final play. Golton or no Golton, are you in Kelvin Sampson's camp? What say you? How how is that ending to the game? Should it have been a Golton? I'm, I'm with Sampson. I think it should have been a Golton, but I'm not mad that it wasn't called just from a, a, a basketball fan because if that would have been Houston and it went the other way and it, it would have been in Houston's favor, I would have been like, okay, good. You know what I'm saying? Good, no cost. I just got to take it how it go. You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. it easily could have been called. I think it was a goal 10, but I'm not mad that they didn't call it. Or I wish they could at least went back and review it because it's, tw- it's, it's 2021. Like everything should be reviewed with the technology that we have because you have the chance to get every single call right. So forget the rule book. Like it's time to get every call right, regardless of how long it takes or how, whatever it is about getting the call right. But I, I, that's my take. Well, what do you think? You think it go 10 or go 10? What do you think? Oh, I think I, I agree with you. I think it was a tough call. Uh, I think. It should have been whatever they ruled on the floor. And I know this, this is going to sound ridiculous since it was not called Golton. I think even had they would have had the ability, and I completely agree with you, I think that rule is ridiculous that they can't even at least take a look at it and make sure, like you said, they have the technology, make sure they at least take a second look at it and try to ensure that you get the call right. Uh, even if they would have had the ability to replay, I think they would have stuck with whatever they called on the floor. That being said, since they didn't call Golton, I think if they would have reviewed it, they probably would have stayed with the call on the floor. And the reason I say that, we saw and we saw several angles that the broadcast yeah. showed. J.D. Davis, it's clear he hits the ball on the way down. Like that, that's obvious. Um, the thing that that was kind of controversial was. J.D. Davidson, my mistake. The thing that was controversial about that play is it's hard to tell whether the ball was completely over the cylinder. And there have been fans that have been sharing the the official NCAA rules and and see what defines goaltending and and what what people were arguing they were in favor of Houston was that it, it doesn't have to be completely over the cylinder, even if just one part of the ball is over the cylinder and it gets hit on the way down, that should be a goaltend. Now, that's, I, that's why I think it was because it was an obvious tip um, shot at Tim going. It was obvious that he tipped it going up. That's yeah. why I believe it was. No, yeah, yeah, and that I'd agree. If they would have called the Golton on the floor and they get the opportunity to review it, I don't think there was enough there where they could have said, you know what, this is clearly wasn't Golton. We're gonna reverse the call, but the same thing. You get what I'm saying? I think whatever would have yeah. been called on the floor yeah. would have stood. 
Um, and it just goes to show how tough of a call it must have been in real time. Now, like Elvin Sampson mentioned, uh, the game it ultimately came down to one play, but there were several plays uh, prior leading up to, I mean, just in that uh, final five minutes where it seemed like Houston and Alabama were kind of just exchanging knockout punches, trying to see which one would fall first. And unfortunately for Houston, it came at the very end on a heartbreaking call, but there were a couple of opportunities where it seemed like Houston could have sealed the game away. Uh, I know the big kind of storyline off it, uh, just going staying with the officials theme was the free throw and and a bit of a free throw, free throw disparity. It, it was obvious that the officials were uh, calling it very strict uh, for the entire game and Alabama at halftime. I think they had, they were, they shot 20 free throws in the first half, made 17 of them. They only shot 11 free throws in the second half. Um, but I think right there it, it, that, you could kind of point to Houston went to the free throw line 19 times, missed eight of them. And of those eight missed five were from J1 Roberts that Kevin Sampson talked about um, at post game. Now, speaking of J1 Roberts, he himself had one heck of a game in terms of just completely crashing the offensive glass and being a game wrecker for Alabama. They had no answer for him. Uh, interesting that Kevin Sampson also said he had been dealing with, with, ankle injuries on both of his legs leading up to the game. It just makes what he did even more absurd and, and phenomenal, to be honest. But Houston had a couple of opportunities, even going away from the free throw line. I think Houston had just gotten, they had a two point lead and um, they gave up a wide open three. And to make it worse, Tajay Moore filed one of the Alabama players closing out, ended up being a four point play just right there. Those plays, they piled up, missed free throws, it all piles up. And unfortunately for Houston, it ended up, they, they give it credit, they were still in position to win the game. And um, it, it came down to the last second, but it all adds up and a one point loss, it stings. But I think in the long run, it's going to be something that helps them grow, especially, I mean, they came really close to, to, I saw this, I saw someone else posted online, like if they would have been Alabama, this would have arguably been the best win by all college teams this entire season, beating a top 10 opponent on the road in the hostile environment. Boy, it certainly seemed like it was a crazy atmosphere from the TV. I can't imagine what it must have been like to actually been in their shoes and playing in that atmosphere. Dayon, what say you? I mean, you said a lot, and I, and I agree with just about everything you said, but one thing that stood out to me from Houston was first time was first road or true road game from your freshman starting point ball, Jamal Shit. And the way that he responded, first you look to see how he responds, and then the way he responded, I think is really the coaching staff was really going to be happy with. And I could tell his team was thriving when he was on the floor because of that energy that he was playing with and his ability to blow by head, beat his defender and break down the defense and make the right decision, whether it's to score and go for his floater, pull up jump shot. He really showed his entire bag last night. And I think with the way he responded, responded in that hostile environment that you talked about, I, I think this team is really at the sky is the limit because I think there's put even more trust that he can lead them where they want to go. Of course, it's going to take more than just him, but they have their floor general that they've really had in years past from Dejan to Galen. And so 
I think that was the the biggest takeaway that I've seen really just from the basketball game from Houston's perspective. Marcus Sasser, he didn't shoot well, but another thing that stood out to me that to me he looked like an NBA guard. That some of the plays that he made last night where he blew by his defender, finished sure. through two post players, that's an NBA type move because in college there's no defensive three seconds, so the paint is a lot closed. And so for me to see that he has that ability to finish finish over two taller players because in the NBA, the floor is going to be more space, but it also closes quickly and you have more athletic defenders. And so with him making that move and then some of the pull up mid range jump shots and the, the threes, the timely threes that he made, he, I think he's a next level player. He, he played well last night, but the biggest takeaway was, was Kyler and, and Jermon Mark. I thought, the, I think those two were struggling, not really adding much offensively. I think what Kyler had was six points and Jermon, yeah. he didn't score. And so he was aggressive looking for his shot. He had a couple of mid range pull up jumpers that he missed. He, he just didn't make his shots, but they're going to need, they need him to add that scoring, especially if he's coming off the bench they need offense coming off the bench but Jay one he just he's the closest thing probably to Dennis Rodman that I've seen as far as the way he chases the rebounds his energy what he plays with like he knows his job and he comes in and he does it at a high 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 elite level that's the elite rebounding I bet coaches could put on tape through our different programs of Jerron Roberts rebounding and they can be like can you this is what we want right here (laughs) you can't teach that that's you just got to have heart you got to have want to to go get the rebound and that's what he does but I think it would have been a big win, but Alabama, you got to give credit where it's due. It was high-level guard play last night, man. From Shackelford, he the way he was able to shoot the ball, the shots that he was able to make, Quinterly, the way he was able to drive, penetrate, make plays. Both teams showed me that it is – I think both of them will be in at least that Sweet 8, Sweet 16, deep final four runs because of the way that their guards can play. Jamal Shedd, Marcus Sasser, I, I, I put money on Jamal when it comes down to it. As the season continues on, that he's going to show up. He's going to have a better game. Kyler just had unfortunate calls, foul trouble, so he couldn't really just stay on the floor and really just be a factor. I think one of them he had on a block call, which was early in the second half, so foul trouble – really plagued him. I think if he's out of foul trouble, you know what he's going to bring. But I really like from what I've seen throughout the, the entire um, Houston team. I think Con, I think they left that game, although they lost and were mad that they lost. They left Alabama probably back in Texas now. As you guys will hear this, I'm sure they'll be back home. That they're <laughs> going to be very, very confident going forward. Their next game, Louisiana, I feel sorry for them because <laughs> they're they going to get it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, tough, tough time to be a Raging Cajun right now. Uh, real quickly, I wanted to touch on what you said. Um, honestly, you kind of echoed what Kevin said after the game regarding um, Tyler Edwards and Tremont Mark. He said, uh, first, you gave kudos to Marcus Sasser. Like you said, he didn't necessarily have his three-point shot uh, falling against Alabama, but it's something, this is growth from years past where um, and, and, and some of it might've been with the role that he was playing as well, but in years past, if his three-point shot's not falling, it, it would kind of, not necessarily that you would see Marcus Sasser become 
a non-factor, but he wouldn't necessarily look to attack, like you mentioned, get into the paint, force his way, draw contact, um, essentially find other ways to be a playmaker. And that's what he did last night against Crimson Tide. Went to the free throw line five times, hit all five free throws. Um, Edwards and Jermon Mark, they combined for six points on two for 13 shooting and Calvin Sampson kind of called them on a little bit after the game saying they need to, they need to be better. And like, um, like you mentioned, this is the first true road challenge uh, of the season. And I mean, probably the uh, toughest crowd that they'll face all season, probably outside of Wichita state, Wichita state, Cincinnati, depending on if they can keep, uh, keep up their good season. Um, you know, we won't touch on Memphis and the, the, the kind of mess they've been in over the last couple of weeks, but um, those atmospheres are always crazy if they can figure it out. But um, yeah, like you said, it's gonna it's gonna be suck to be Louisiana because that, that Houston's gonna be pissing. I'd expect them to probably come out with with fire and and anger. I'm circling the game after that this upcoming Saturday, December 18th, against Oklahoma State, neutral site game. But that that's kind of a, quick, a bit of a quick turnaround. Uh, I know it's a week off, but uh, the Cougars are going to have a chance to get another quality win. I know it'll be at a neutral site game, so it probably won't be as intense of a crowd as they faced in Alabama. Um, but that's another high-quality opponent that Houston's going to have a chance to, to put that Alabama loss not only behind them, but to good use and kind of see what they learned against Crimson Tide whenever they have to take on the Cowboys uh, literally a week from Saturday, December 18th in Fort Worth. I think that's going to be a good test to see yeah. how this team has grown and what they learned from that Alabama game. Um, I agree. And and really, I mean, after that, they play Texas State and then conference games here. So Houston's kind of flying by the schedule. But I remember what Calvin Sampson told reporters prior to the Alabama game, like really, this this not conference schedule for Houston. He described it like every day is Christmas Day. They're unpacking you know, a whole bunch of uh, tough challenges, tough tests, which is good for team. Like you said, once they have aspirations to to make a deep run in March. Last night against Alabama, that was an NCAA tournament game. It, I mean, literally, it went down to the rump wire. You had a crazy finish. Hopefully, uh, they don't have to deal with with questionable goaltending calls once the March tournament gets here. But it literally came down to the last play, and execution ultimately is what um, favored Alabama in that game on Saturday. And down before we uh, segue into our second segment, I'll leave you with the last thought. How do you feel that Houston can take? that lesson, that loss to Alabama, and not only use it against Louisiana, but like I said, against Oklahoma State, how do you see them carrying that lesson going forward into the season? I mean, I think it's a lot to learn from uh, just fighting adversity, seeing how this team responds, you know, go through the film, see some of the things that they could have done better, probably pick and choose to get their players in, in different positions to help them get going and scoring. So I think for both coaches and players, it's going to take a lot to learn from them, but I think it only really builds their confidence. I also got to give a lot, um, give credit to Fabian and, and Josh. He been, and even Reggie, I think he did well in his role. The post players, Really did well outside of and as Jawan, we talked about Jawan, but Fabian did a really good job as well, scoring inside and out. I think he made one um three, but he was very aggressive inside, showed his footwork, and he can be a low post scorer. And so I like the way he played. And Josh Carlton played like the biggest man on the court when he was in the game. And so I think a confidence completely as a team. I think that's only going to help them grow. Although they lost, and I think. 
the sky's the limit, man. I can't wait. I think from the, the next couple of games, like you said as well. We'll leave it on that note. Like Dayon said, the men's basketball team's next game, Tuesday, December 14th versus Louisiana. And speaking of Louisiana, as we segue into our second segment, we're going to talk more about the women's basketball team who, like the men's, took on Louisiana on Sunday and they were able to stay perfect at home now 4-0 inside the Pertita Center on a season. We'll talk more about that game and what Dayon saw while calling it on ESPN Plus coming right up on Pod Slime and Jamma covering your UH Athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. Continuing on here on Pod Slam at Jamma, like Andy just mentioned, now it's time to talk women's hoops. And I had the chance to call both of um, these last two home wins. The first win was against Jacksonville State. And then today, which the uh, Sunday, December 12th, when we are recording this, Houston had a really good um, game today, really as a team. And the way that they played together, I think, they had 20 assists on 21 made field goals. They shot the ball well from three-point. They really just played well as a team. So it was a good team effort. I was really pleased with the team effort and how they bounced back. They were down at the half, but the way they came out in the third quarter and closed the game out was really impressive. I think it's going to help their confidence continue to grow as they travel to Florida State here in their next game. For sure. And like you mentioned, uh, now on a two-game winning streak following the Cancun Challenge, really, uh, Brittany Anjajay put together a good game for the Cougars. She led the team in scoring with 16 points. Layla Blair had a couple of uh, nice moments, especially in the first half. It seemed like, Dayan, I'm curious to see your perspective, but it seems like Layla Blair always starts off game strong and she kind of... um, not to use a baseball analogy, but she kind of seems like that starter. They they like to go to her early, and then someone else usually kind of picks up the low towards the end of the second half. And uh, I'm just curious what you've seen from the women's on this aspect after the Cancun Challenge. We mentioned they had to face tough opponents now, next two home games. Uh, a lot different in level competition, but they've done what they – should have done and as take care of business beat both these schools now they're gonna have another tough challenge next saturday at florida state what did what have you seen from the coups in these past two home games i think they're really just building that chemistry defining they have a lot of new pieces and i really think they're gelling well i don't know i think they really figure out who they are and how they need to play to win this year. And it's a, a fast, uh, up-tempo place to need to get more out of transition, play more flurry flowing, move the ball more. And because they have a, a lot of scores and a lot of shooters. And that's what I was impressed with today, how they play together, how they move the ball and how well they shot the basketball. And just to get back to um, your question, your first question with Layla, I think she starts the game strong um, today. She started the game strong, but she actually played even better in the second half. She knocked down back-to-back threes, which I believe capped a 10-0 run for Houston that third quarter, which helped them beat, um, build their lead, and they never trailed. But I think she's just continuing to grow as a basketball player. She's still having too many turnovers. She has six turnovers 
and that's the most on her team. And it's just unforced turnovers. I think she just needs to continue to grow, pick and choose her spots, whether it's to score or to create. I think once she realizes, when she makes the game easier for her teammates and they get to making shots like Brittany Onyeje had a, a really big game today. And percentages show when she shoots the ball well from three, then they win. And I think that's because when she's knocking down those shots, she opens the floor. Now Layla can penetrate and don't have to worry about an extra defender coming. Or if it does, she can pass it, drop it down low to the post like she did a really good job of today or she could be aggressive to score or go one-on-one. And so I think picking and choosing her spot, she did good because she always did an outstanding job. But inserting Diamond Gladney because she's done a really good job finishing games like you just mentioned. Like at times today, although Diamond isn't starting, she's still really important in finishing games, settling the team down. And when the game slows down and just getting them in and out their sets and just being a leader on the floor, being a coach on the floor, she was able to knock down a couple of shots, get a couple of shots to go. And she rebalanced the ball as a guard as well. So it was a really good team effort. Tierra Young is um, defining her role and she's becoming more and more confident, very aggressive score. Her mid-range game is probably second to none from what I've seen. I, I think um, I've seen a few players who can shoot it how she can, but if she can continue to be aggressive and Bria Patterson, she's been the difference in these last two games with her ability to do just about everything on the floor, rebound, dribble, lead the fast break, lead the defense on their press bait. If they can play how they've done these last two games and watch these have the confidence to really just be consistent, especially executing the half court when the game slows down, I think they can really reach their goals and have a strong conference run because the conference is going to be really good. You mentioned Diamond Gladney, and uh, she's no longer starting. That's a move that they made after the Cancun Challenge. You mentioned Tiara Young. They've inserted her into the starting lineup, Diamond Gladney, coming off the bench. Now, she's still playing significant minutes, like you said. And um, to add on, she's done a good job of closing and, and kind of keeping that professional attitude. But I'm curious, you get to talk to Ron Huey before each game, each home game. Uh, did, had he mentioned any anything regards as to making that move and and making Diamond Gladney coming off the bench? Was that something that maybe she was more comfortable in, or what can you say about that? Oh, well, he said with them, him and his coaching staff just going through the tape and feel like they need to insert Tierra because they needed more scoring. And Diamond were just kind of in a slump shooting the basketball, and they they were kind of been teetering with um Blair and Tierra in practice, and he just felt like it was the proper time to insert her into the starting line and give them more of a boost scoring the basketball to start the game. And I think that was the right move for as Diamond. He talks about how selfless is she is, how good of a teammate is, how good of a leader she is. And she didn't sulk in that. She took it to now she's talking more on the bench. And then when she gets into the game, like I said, she still has a really brick role, especially being upperclassman, knowing the system, knowing what to do and seeing, playing with the amount of experience she has, seeing different moments. And so I think um, she's really excelling in her role coming off the bench now. What about, like you said, Tierra Young? She, they, he felt like they need a little bit more offense. Has uh, I'd imagine he feels that her transition into the program has been gone as bad as well as you you would have expected. 
uh, or as well as he would have expected early on, because it certainly seems like out of all the new additions, the, the Houston coaching staff really has confidence in Tierra Young and not only turns her into the starting lineup, but um, really out of all the new additions, she's been the main one. She's certainly the one that stands out when just looking not only in the stat sheet, but also how she plays and, and kind of that confidence they have in her. Right. And her talent speaks for herself. I think with the talent that she has, she's gained the trust throughout practice in the way that they say she works. And um, she's coming from the SEC, where mm-hmm. that's the best conference, in my opinion, in uh, women's college basketball. And she had her, her best game against the ranked Texas A&M team. So she's not going to shy away from competition. And Coach Huey talked about how – just her coming over, getting to know her teammates, how she didn't really want to just insert herself too much as far as she wanted to kind of defer to her teammates, just kind of work her way in. But she's feel like she's very confident now. She really knows her teammate. He says this is probably the closest team that he had off the court in a while that they all really like each other. And so for them, I think it's all about chemistry, continues to define their role, trust in the system. And they really won these last two games the same way the men's win as far as that culture, playing tough defense and winning the rebounding battle. Uh, Today, they had 14 offensive rebounds out of 38. And so they really pounded the offensive glass in which they were going to get some smaller teams. So if they can play like that, tough defense, pressure, 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 speed up the team, and then – score and opportune times, play fast, move the basketball, knock down those jump shots, play inside out. They could be a really good team. For sure. And like you mentioned, this upcoming Thursday, December 16th, they're going to have another road challenge, something that they – true road games, the UH women's basketball team has yet to record a win. They are 0-3. Real quickly, let me make sure. Yeah, they're 0-3 on the road. Meanwhile, Florida State, who they're going to travel to, they're undefeated at home, similar to the women's basketball team. That's 4-0 at Fertitta Center. Seminoles, they're 5-0 at their home floor. I know we've talked about in the past where when it comes to the higher echelon teams, we saw in the Cancun Challenge when they had, when they had to play Fordham and Baylor and also when they had to travel on the road to play, take on Alabama. This team has really struggled to compete against those high caliber teams. Florida State, they're going to come into the matchup at six and three. What do you have to see from this women's team? Uh, obviously, the, the main thing is just to see them compete with, a, with another team that's at that higher level echelon that, that they haven't been able to not only defeat early on in this season, but honestly compete with. Um, they had a good start against Baylor and then it all unraveled after the first quarter. What to see that improvement, we talked about it with the men's where they need to take the losses and, and grow from it. What are you going to be looking for in this game against Florida State? To build on the the good things in these last um two wins, I think um they've had some good things now. Make them good habits and play like play to your potential. This Florida State team that they're playing started the year ranked 16 overall in the top in the AP top 25. So they have a ton of talent. They just lost a few games that maybe some didn't think that they should, but a really good team. So for Houston, I'm looking for you to come out and compete and I know basketball is an up and down games but 
they're going to have to execute and trying to limit those stretches to where they struggle to score and turn the basketball over. They have to stop turning it over, especially on the road. You can't win games when you turn it over a high number. They had 19 turnovers through three games. They averaged around 25 turnovers per game. After becoming interns to today's game, they averaged, they got them down to 17, and they had 19 against um, Louisiana. So if they can still get those down, maybe the 15, under 15 turnovers a game, rebound, play tough defense, play fast and pressure on defense, I think they can take care of business and beat Florida State. But I think they have to come out and start fast against Florida State. For sure. And and one of the final things I wanted to ask about is in terms of what Ron Hugh and his coaching staff, they like to to pressure other teams when they're on defense. Sometimes they'll do full-court pressure. They just want to make other teams feel uncomfortable. Do you feel like this unit matches up well with that system, or what have you seen from the Cougars on the defensive side of the ball, especially when it comes to those higher-end teams? I think that's their identity. Uh, but also, at the same time, Coach Shu, we have to give him credit where credit is due. He's done an outstanding job these last two games, switching it up and playing a little bit of matchup 3-2 zone, in which today, that was the difference maker in the second half because they had trouble um, stopping the guard point guard Rice from Louisiana, keeping her out of the paint. She had 11 points in the first half. And she only scored two in the second half. And part of him switching up to that zone using his length on his team and their athletic ability and pounding the paint funnel everything outside really helped him and so that was a good coaching adjustment for him and he said he said that talked to me that before the game he said I have to not be bullheaded and make certain adjustments just because I like the pressure and I like to do this if this team isn't always doing it at a high level then I must be able to adjust and he did that over these last couple of games and, and so I got to give credit where it's due I think the play Players can play that. I think it bodes well when they do that because it speeds up the tempo of the game and they can get out in transition. And some of the guards can go one-on-one instead of always facing a tough set defense. So it's kind of like a gift and a curse. Maybe sometimes they're tired or just um, a lack of focus, but I think they definitely have the ability to play it. Well said. And coming right up on Pod Slam at Jamma, we'll talk more about bowling. No, not the, not the pinstripes and bowling balls. We're going to talk about bowl season. The UH football team had their designated bowl. They're going to be in the Birmingham Bowl and will play on December 28th against an SEC opponent in Auburn. We'll talk a little bit more about what this bowl game could mean for the 2021 UH football team coming right up on Pot Slam Jam, covering your UH athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. Yeah, it's about that time. It's, it's bowl season. Like Andy said, and Houston has a good opponent, in my opinion, facing an yeah. SEC team. And you know how that conferences look. You saw how good of a game, how they played Alabama. You see what Alabama did after that to the number one team, Georgia. So it's definitely not a cakewalk, a tough opponent. And and one of our previous podcasts, when I talked about, when we talked about how some bowls are kind of useless if it's not um, a new a New Year's bowl. Of, but I think this 
this one is important for Houston. And I give my reasons why, but Andrea, what, what's your take on this bowl? What, what are you looking for here in this matchup with Auburn? No, I agree. I think for sure we mentioned it when it comes to the bowl season and it's not one of those end, those new year and to, to end the season bowls on new year's eve or new year's day they they kind of lack that luster of of importance but i think for houston they're in an interesting position not first they're taking on an sec opponent like you mentioned took alabama down to the wire and really we're real close to knocking off any chances that the Crimson Tide were going to have at, at being in the college football playoff and not looking at Alabama now. They're the number one team in the country heading into the playoff. But also for Houston, it'll be a bit of an opportunity to kind of not make up for a couple of losses, the, the only two losses they have on the season, but kind of put a stamp, finish the season off that for all intents and purposes was a success. It was certainly historic after dropping the first game of the season, turning around, winning 11 in a row, hanging tough for Cincinnati, who ended up making the college football playoff for the first half. And then uh, obviously that second half, that third quarter, they wish they could have had back. But going back to that first game of the season against Texas Tech, losing to Big 12 opponent and then playing Cincinnati tough for one half. But once again, similarly, kind of not being able to keep up with them in the second half, I think it's going to provide an opportunity for this Houston team to be able to kind of atone for those two games for lack of a better word and and prove that no that their record wasn't necessarily a, a product of their schedule that they didn't necessarily face those tough challenges throughout the season but it was more of an actual cornerstone they were actually um taking a step in the right direction and they can do that like you said with a win against an SEC opponent that played alabama really tough now obviously a lot's going to depend on how many of the seniors decide to play in the game? Uh, obviously, I'd imagine Marcus Jones is number one to see whether he decides to play or if he wants to, uh, if he's ready to pursue his NFL aspirations. There's going to be a couple of other players on the team. Then I'll be curious to see who plays for Houston. But I think overall, it'll be a good experience, especially for the younger guys, especially obviously for the running back duo. Alton McCaskill will be interesting to see if he plays what he can do against an SEC defense. And just overall, the defense itself uh, for Houston, they were able for much of the season to shut down opponents in the American Athletic Conference, not giving up. Uh, much ado about nothing, but whenever they play Texas Tech and Cincinnati, they showed cracks in their defense, and it'll be interesting to see against another high-caliber opponent what they can do. And to be honest, that's what I'll be looking forward to the most to answer your question, is how the defense can compete against a team that went toe-to-toe with Alabama. And I know their quarterback, they lost Bo Nix to an injury, but the, the backup filled in and did real good TJ, against Alabama. TJ Finley, out of transferred from LSU. Exactly. So they're certainly they're not going to be liking talent regardless. I know they had a down year for for an SEC team at six and six. They still had to play an SEC schedule. So uh, certainly and I hate to use this argument, but if they were in the American Athletic Conference, they would have had a much better record than six and six, too. So to be honest, this is a much more even matchup that uh, last time I checked, Houston is actually um underdogs against Auburn so I think it's a good test and I think it's a a good chance to end the season off on the right note as you already build uh capitalize on the success you had uh but what say you Dayon what what are you going to be focusing on I'm going to be focused on the hunger from the team I think, like I said, I think it's it's an important bowl game because you want to come out and prove that you're as good as your your record 
um, showed this season. And no other way to prove that than being the SEC team. You know how much and I mean, how much people give credit to the SEC. And I think if I wasn't American, to be fair, would have probably went undefeated. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to see the offensive line. Can they block Auburn's defensive line? That's the SEC defensive line. And they just struggled and gave up eight sacks against Cincinnati in their last matchup. So can we run the ball against the SEC defensive line? And also, can we pass block? If we can't do neither one of those, then it's going to be a long game. But TJ Finley, I think he is a really good quarterback, but he's was has an ankle injury and he's been battling. So I think our defense showed that we're a top five defense. I think we'll be able to stop them. They're running back bitch. We will be an NFL top first round draft pick when he can't come out this year, but whenever he will, he's going to be a top pick. Their defense is good. And so it's a good matchup, but I'm going to be mainly watching our offense. Can our offensive line pass block and run block, which will allow us to do anything. I think tank Dell, he's proved to me last week against two NFL corners that he's a next level type player. He could play in the NFL and he can get busy against anybody. So I think get the ball in his hands, he'll make plays. Clayton probably get it out quickly. Maybe some design runs this week against Clayton. And the only player that I probably expect to sit out is probably Marcus Jones. I mean, I, like I said in the previous podcast is I'm always pro player. And so when you have um, an NFL future, of course, like he does, and you don't want to risk injury, and he's going to play in the senior bowl. And so you still have that chance to showcase what you can do in front of LFL, NFL scouts at practice in a game. I would save myself for that. But the way he loves to compete, he loves his team. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays. Of course, other players like Logan Hall and others are playing potentially for draft um, potential, but I think Logan Hall is an underclassman. He, he still, I think, should take a disadvantage against an SEC offensive line to prove that he's as good that um, that he's what he's put on tape. So I think it's another chance for him to even build his draft stock even more. Outside of that, I think Marcus Jones, he's, he's proven he's a bona fide, he's going to get drafted, in my opinion, as a returner. Whether it's kick return, punt return, and the ability to play cornerback, I think he'll play more in the slot. But I think he, he it's solidified as far as what he can do. He can only draft his stock. Um, pretty good in the world, but I expect for him probably to sit out if anyone does. But I think it's going to be a good game. But that's what I have my eyes on. No, yeah, for sure. You you brought up the point with Logan Hall. He's only a junior, but I I think for him this this game would probably benefit him the most just to see he he's shown what he can do against other American Athletic Conference opponents. He's been dominant for much of the Houston season, <clears throat> but he's going to be curious to see if he does play what he can do. Like you mentioned, not only against an SEC offensive line, but a total overall offense where you're going against those four star, five star recruits. That's something you don't necessarily see him do each week against uh, American Athletic Conference opponents. Um, now, schedule makers are the people that chose the time and of this bowl certainly didn't do either of these teams any favors. It's going to be on a Tuesday at 11 in the morning, but that, that's going to be another obstacle. I'm going to be curious to see, like you mentioned, uh, in terms of continuing to build and and set a culture i'm gonna be curious to see if houston comes out and 
essentially they're ready to play. Are they going to be lethargic? Are they going to be, uh, you know, it's good that we have a bowl. Are they going to come out with that killer mindset? You know, we're here, we're on a mission. We want to win a bowl, something they haven't done since 2015, which is for a season that they set a lot of records. And honestly, they, they, they mentioned the 2015 team a lot, especially before uh, playing Cincinnati. This is going to be an opportunity to uh, once again, try to keep pace with, with that 20, uh, that 2015 roster um, and getting a bowl win against an SEC opponent would go a long ways in doing that. But I think that's just going to be another key. If they come out with that will of, of wanting to win, I think that'll go a long way of continuing to build that culture and continue to build from the positive momentum that they've created. But I completely agree with what you uh, said about Logan Hall. I think this is probably the biggest chance for him to be able to raise his draft stock. Also, Clayton Tune, I think he's shown so much um, progression throughout the season, and it's a great chance for him to play uh, against a really good secondary led by one of their senior safeties on Monday. And so it's a it's a, it's a chance to prove who you are as a team, prove that you're good as your record um, and it says you are as good as the season that you had, and it'll bowl well. I mean, it's not often that you can end the season with a good win against an SC team and believe going into the offseason. It only helped for recruiting, and recruiting is at an all-time high. We had the training guard. got a couple of transfer reporter commitments. So and then hopefully they, we go to the Big 12 next year. I really don't want to wait. I want it now. I'm, I'm ready to see UH in the Big 12 now. And so I think this is a big game, and in my opinion, for the program to really sustain that they are back to – being winners and consistently winning and being a winning football team. For sure. And we'll, we'll leave it on that note regarding the football team before uh, we'll obviously have more in-depth coverage as December 28th gets near December 28th is going to be a big day. That's also going to be the first uh, conference game for the UH men's basketball team when they'll host Cincinnati. And, and we'll, we'll end on the men's basketball team because uh, after that game against Alabama last Saturday, uh, there was a video that went viral of Kellen Sampson and a couple of UH players obviously frustrated with, with the way <clears throat> the game ended. And, and the video showed Kellen Sampson kind of hitting and knocking over chairs. And uh, I believe they even broke one of them. Well, today that we're recording this literally about a few minutes removed that we're recording this. Um, there's been reports that, well, tweets, honestly, you know, much of these news are broken from tweets, but the athletic director for Alabama, his name was Greg Byrne, just tweeted out that he received a call from head coach Calvin Sampson uh, and that Sampson called him and Alabama men's basketball head coach Nato to apologize for the way uh, the game ended last night against Alabama and how things reacted and also Kellen Sampson on Twitter uh, tweeted out himself from his own account that at the clue and I quote at the conclusion of yesterday's game, I allowed my emotions to bubble over. I sincerely apologize to the Alabama men's basketball team and their fan base for my actions. I understand my role as a coach and my reaction was not indicative of a leader of men. I will be better moving forward and quote um, one more piece to add from that whole uh, fiasco after the game. Jamal Shedd, there was a video of Jamal Shedd who, during that chaos between uh, Kellen and a couple of other players that knocked over chairs and trash cans, there's a video of Jamal Shedd picking up the trash can and picking up the trash by himself, something he didn't have to do. So 
shout out to Jamal Shed for for the way he uh, handled that situation. But Dayon, any thoughts to the, the way a game ended? Obviously, it was high stakes, but um, apologies coming from the UH coaching staff. What, what any thoughts on that? Nah, no, no really thoughts, man. Uh, um, good man stepping up doing what honorable men do, apologizing when you do something that you deem wrong. So I really don't have no thoughts, nothing to add. He came out here, apologized, owned it. That was the right thing to do. For sure. And once again, kudos to Jamal Shedd for, for um, doing what he did. Because like I said, that's something he, he didn't have to do. And kind of shows his true character right there. You said he's a leader on the court. Something Calvin Sampson has said he commands. When he's on the court, there's a certain moxie to him where he just kind of calms things down. And you, you just get to see his leadership off the court right there. Um, unprovoked, something that, again, he didn't have to do. And, and it shows his true character. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. And also, be sure to follow me at Dayon Dunlap. That's D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. Be sure to follow the Apollo H-O-U for blogs, merch, video podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on our next episode of Pod Slamajama covering your University of Houston Cougars. As always, go Cougs.